All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Giallo and joined by former Ireland defender Stephen Kelly and ex-League of Ireland and uh, FAI Cup winner Carl Shepherd. So we're going to be talking about the League of Ireland later on in terms of the weekend's results of the Premier Division, Women's National League and First Division. But before that, it's back to international action. Stephen, I suppose we're four months now since uh, that 3 win in Luxembourg where everyone kind of left on a high and maybe the hope is like momentum isn't lost. So in terms of these March games against Belgium on Saturday and then Lithuania on Tuesday of next week, this is all about trying to recapture the, I suppose, the momentum that was there at the end of the World Cup qualifying campaign. Yeah, and just keeping the confidence in the group of players, you know, you you want to build them up what was past and Belgium's kind of a free hit to some extent. I know obviously with being the, the right, how highly ranked they are in the world, you know, the expectations can't be as high to try and get a result, even though they have it, you know, we could squad the normal, but it's an opportunity for these. There's a lot of young players trying to, trying to perform and Stephen is really cementing it, I suppose, an aspect of the game that he has his, his mentality of being able to turn those draws into wins and trying to push that through. So I think for me, it's important that we go out with the same fashion they had before the energy, passion, going to perform and just get, you know, get it, get results from one of these games just to keep the momentum going. Yeah. And Carl, looking at the squad that was named um, in terms of the, the players that are in, most of them are, most of them have been part of the squad, at least even some prior to Stephen Kenny's time, obviously the, the likes of Seamus Coleman, James McLean, uh, needless to say, but he, also the likes of Scott Hogan uh, coming back. But largely it's a squad built for continuity, it seems, other than say Connor Ronan and Mark Sykes coming in rather than one for wholesale experimentation. Yeah, look, I suppose uh, obviously Conor Rowland coming in from St Mirren, he's been doing quite well. And you have, uh, I suppose it's it really is about just building on what, what he's done in the past. So you can see there's a, a style of play that Stephen Kenny's brought in. I think everyone's starting to, I suppose, reap the rewards from how, how they have been playing of the last few results. They've, uh, I suppose it's about bringing in the newer generation. I suppose he was speaking on, uh, was it the Late Late Show, talking about that, about how he's having to, I suppose bring in the next generation of Irish players, and you can see he speaks so passionately about it. And I think it'll be maybe over the next year or two we start to, I suppose, plenty of them players you worked at in the under twenty one start to come through. Yeah, and one player, and I, I think this was the kind of grand narrative towards the end of last week after the squad was named. It was regards to Michael Abafemi and why he didn't get a call up. So obviously he's started scoring goals for Swansea, six in his last 10, seven for the season. But let's listen to Stephen Kenny first and then we'll talk about what that means for his international career. Michael was never in the picture to be in this under-21 squad, so I'm not sure how that discussion occurred. But I have obviously went to Bristol City and Swansea a few weeks ago. Uh, Cyrus Christie scored that day, Michael scored. And I spoke to Michael after the game, good chat with him after the game, and uh, had a good conversation with him this week as well. And, uh, you know, he would have been considered for selection if he'd have been available. Uh, he wasn't available for selection. Uh, more co- complex, probably, the, the truth of it is that Michael's never played three games in a row before this year mm. uh, for, for his club. As far as I know, this we've checked, but he's not played three games consecutively in his career. So, and the reason for that really is because of his persistent hamstring troubles he's had in his career. He's been, you know, dogged with with hamstring issues. Such an explosive player, and also the competition at Southampton as well, which was very heavy. He's found a manager who believes in Russell Martin. You know, Russell Martin has believed in Michael and played him and persisted with him throughout the season. Michael's managed to stay fit and looks looks a real threat in recent weeks and got two very good goals against Coventry. And back that up the other night. Um, it's been a heavy load for him. I think there's a degree of anxiety around Michael himself about being injured, and he's you know he's never not he's never had to what he's had before a run of games, and he feels his load is so heavy. He's concerned about re-injuring coming into the national team, trying to train every day and play and play again, and feels he needs to spend time with the physios to make sure he can continue and. The vein of form, but he, he reiterated his commitment to Ireland, wants to play for Ireland, certain that he wants to play for Ireland, but just the degree of anxiety feels around coming in this week 
with his injury load has that's why he's not involved that he's not considered so that is Ireland manager Stephen Kenny discussing the case of Michael Abafemi who will not be linking up with the squad this time uh, Stephen I suppose in terms of what this means for Abafemi's international hopes now he is still young he's only 21 years old and plenty of time ahead of him and but he hasn't really been in the picture since he won his first cap under Martin O'Neill all those years ago. Um, what does it mean for him in terms of trying to win back his place? Because on one hand, you can look at it that none of the strikers in the squad, bar Callum Robinson, have really established themselves as a kind of first choice pick. But on the other hand, it's probably sometimes better to just be in the picture. I think the fact that he's having a conversation with Stephen Kenny and it seems positive to, for him to be in the squad in the future bodes well for us that he will be back involved at some point. Um, but uh, it comes to a point in your career if you want to be in a, and he is young and he has suffered injuries, so I, I can totally take that on board. I could completely understand if he has anxiety towards overloading and stuff. But there comes a point in your career where you have to be able to play week in, week out, and that involves playing for your country. Um, and, you, you know, you, you often get a week or two off in the summer and that's it. You don't have much of a break, but your career is short. And, you know, playing for your country is such a privilege and such an honour that you've got to make the most of it. Maybe this might be the right time. And, and the fact that it is one of the four seasons where he's played consecutive games week in, week out. But I think the fact that having a conversation, the fact that he's still talking to him um, in the future going forward, he'll if and form will be key. If he's playing and he's scoring goals, he'll absolutely have a chance of playing for us. Um, it's just going to be down to his decision where he wants to or not. And, you know, that's where, for me, there's a bit of a grey area. And I think if... You, you have to commit to it. Playing for Ireland is is one of the highlights, one of the best things I've ever done in my life and it's such a privilege. So, you know, take those opportunities and don't let them go. And, and you know, I think that, that would be my advice to him. Yeah, as you said, I think the anxiety about his injury um, record, especially he's had problems with his hamstrings that Stephen Kenny outlined there. It's very understandable if he wants to work with his club physios. But at the same time, I suppose if you were in his shoes and obviously it's very difficult to say that because we all have our different circumstances. But would you have maybe thought about maybe coming in and doing the kind of light training, not actually being involved in the games, but just being in and around the camp and like, I suppose, being integrated in um, after such a long time away from um, international consideration? No, I, absolutely. I would have, um, to be honest, for me, like I often would go to Ireland and know I'd have a knock and still go just because it's Ireland. Like, and I, I, I think most people feel that way about playing for the country and, and that would have always kind of, I would have put Ireland ahead of club first to some extent, just because like, I, I just look at Seamus Coleman. Let's go back to him now. And he's not having the best of time at Everton, but I know he'll love coming into the Ireland camp because that'd be a sense of relief and, and a change of scenery for him that will, that will benefit him and his mentality and everything. And uh, for Femi, I think he needs to get to that. He needs to get to that point where Ireland becomes a passion, becomes enjoyable. Um, and if you're not on the squad, you're not going to get that sense of how much, how enjoyable it is and how much it means to represent this country. So, you know, not being involved, I'm sure he could have come in, had a conversation, say, listen, play me 45 and won these games. That, that, I'm sure that conversation could have been had. Um, so it's disappointing, but, you know, they are talking, they're communicating. It's, it's nothing's dead, dead and buried. He is, there is scope for him to come in the future, but it's, I think it's going to be down to his desire to actually want to play for us. Yeah, and Aaron Connolly has been also left out, but similar, um, similar, reasons for him and it's down to fitness he hasn't really been training although he has been playing games for Middlesbrough um, on loan but Jamie McGrath is probably the other notable absentee Carl and since his move to Wigan he hasn't really got going so it's probably understandable from that point of view and also maybe on a positive side it just points to the depth we can have that players like McGrath who have been integrated in can be left out from time to time. Yeah like when Jamie came in he done very very well uh, I suppose there's a testament to him of that how well he'd done when he I think he started the next game that no one but an eyelid at it that he, he was selected because he'd done so well against Portugal that I suppose now it's a, it's a, it's I suppose it does show that we've got strength in midfield. The Michael Obafemi one for me is I wonder if perhaps his ego was a bit hurt from being left out before. I know he certainly mentioned it on Twitter at the time. I think he put up a few emojis about how odd it was for him to be left out. So. I wonder if it's perhaps that he, he possibly wants to represent Ireland, but maybe just isn't, I suppose, getting on too well with Stephen at the moment. But again, I suppose it might just have to be that he has to swallow his pride and come in because if it was me and I'm getting one a, a call up, and even if I know I'm not 100%, 
you'd be going in, you'd be seeing the physios there, you'd be showing that I want to be a part of this to rule yourself out so you can stay at home with your own physios. Probably won't sit too well with the, not just Stephen Kenny and their physios, but probably with a few of the more senior players in the squad, they might be thinking, okay, well, we maybe need to give them a call and just get them on board. Yeah. Um, Mark Sykes is, apart from Conor Ronan, who I think it's been well documented, he was expected to come in because of his great form at St. Mirren and scored a great goal in the Scottish Cup just a couple of weeks ago. But Mark Sykes at Oxford, um, who would have come through at Glenavon, would have switched eligibility from Northern Ireland to the Republic of Ireland uh, a couple of years ago. He's doing well in League One. Um, Stephen, have you seen much of him um, in terms of what he can bring? I've read a bit. I've read a lot about him. I've seen a couple of clips of him playing, but he he's, he seems quite dynamic, and he plays off that. He's like a number ten role, so he plays a higher advanced midfield. So he gets forward assists, goals, and um, I just think it was it for him a couple of years ago to make that decision. Knowing he wasn't really close to the setup, it's quite a brave decision to make. Um, in your in your playing career, um, and for it to be paying off now, it's great for him. And that role that I think for Ireland could be could be quite key because he does link the midfield and, and the forwards quite well, and he's got an assist in him, which you know for us goal scoring of late has been better. But that's something that we can always improve on with Ireland. So the better players we have feeding the strikers, getting balls into them, will 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 help us. So someone that's a bit more dynamic in those front areas to join in, I think, will definitely benefit us. Yeah, definitely. I saw a few of his clips on YouTube. Although, obviously, a YouTube footballer, as we all know, like <laughs> we're only we're only seeing we're, we're seeing all the good bits. Everybody looks like the best player in the world, but he does have an eye for goal for sure, mm. and um, kind of a nose for following in um, mm. behind the striker. So that all bodes well. And I know Sammy Klingen, who would have played for Northern Ireland back in the mm. day and was his teammate um, at Glenavon during the later point of his career, seems to rate him highly. Thinks he's going to have a huge impact. But um, Stephen, in terms of the system, so we've been we've been kind of working off a back three now, uh, mm-hmm. kind of five, three, two, or, or also the kind of four, three or three, four, three. Uh, do you think in these friendlies, is there scope for either maintaining and just working and honing that system or should they be looking at experimenting a little bit, maybe playing a four, three, three, four, two, three, one, whatever it is, and just having an alternative. I, I could possibly see him playing a four, three, three in one of the games, just, just to have as a backup, um, it's always good to be able to adapt to play against different sides to maybe sure things up a little bit more but I think I think what suits us best is the five I think when you have Matt Doherty and Seamus and those players you have to play to the strengths of the best players you have and Matt at the moment is flying at scores he really is doing so well and the mentality shown to get back into that team um, is, is fantastic so I watched the game yesterday and again he was just on the front foot he was energetic he was positive just looking like that Wolves player that we loved so getting him in that right wing back position which suits him best and will give us the best benefits and then you can look at obviously Edna Stevens not in the squad but James McLean does that left wing back role well and it just gives us a bit of an attacking front point as well and having the two sit midfielders with one in front to join in bit of solidity so I think that shape really suits us at the moment that I can't see him tinkering but if there's an opportunity to try and change things up it'll be within these friendlies just to see how we can adapt to different scenarios different teams that will put more pressure on us and we can if we need to change to a back four and overload the midfield just to get hold of a game it'd be interesting to see if we can do that yeah obviously I know you'd follow Spurs quite closely so you mentioned Matt Doherty there and you know, I was wondering what is it that's actually kind of spurred him on, uh, pardon the pun, um, over the over the last few weeks because he he seems to have gone from kind of being a fringe player and then Conte seems to have found something in him. And as we know, it's not about pace with Matt Doherty; it's kind of intelligence and intelligence and interlinking. So, what's it? What has brought the best out of him in that kind of wing back role uh, under Conte that Ireland can think- maybe benefit from? I think when you look at the way Spurs are playing, it's um, it's very similar to the way Wolves played. And Matt was at his best when he was in that Wolves team that that basically attacked and broke with pace with their fullback or their wingbacks really getting high up the pitch and joining in. Um, and Conte loves that style of football. That's his system. So I think Matt, what Matt had to do was at the start of the season, he just he looked off the pace a little bit, didn't look as fit as he he was before. And I, again, he's not rapidly quick, but he's got the energy to go up and down the pitch. And he just didn't seem like he was capable of doing that. Also, you bring in um, Sergio Romero, that right side of centre-back, and always having a player like that can cover space and, and leads the role well, allows you to be higher up the pitch and allows Matt to do his job better. So I think, um, I think buying into that, and I think another thing is, he's just really bought into Antonio Conte. I think, if you have a manager like that coming in and you show him a full commitment, the desire to play his way and just, you know, take on board everything he's teaching you, 
then that manager is going to like you and going to trust you. And that's what Matt's done. You can tell Conte spoke about him, talk about his improvement since he's been there. It's been really rapid and he's adjusted and adapted to the style and to the energy he expects from him. So I think for Matt, it's, it's been a great rejuvenation and you know something that's completely delighted for Irish fans because to have him in the setup confident is going to make a huge difference for us. Yeah, and he's certainly going to start at least one of the games, probably, mm. possibly both. Um, mm. I suppose on the selection overall, and I know in friendly sometimes there is the temptation to make wholesale changes maybe in the second game or against what is perceived to be the weaker opponent, which would be Lithuania. But given that they're building towards a Nations League campaign and then beyond that to uh, uh, European qualifiers next year, is it more a case of trying to give as much game time to like a 15 or 16 rather than making too many changes? I think he has to stick with what he's got with before just to try and keep the shape of the style and try and keep the momentum going and you would think the Lithuania game is a game where you're going to make changes bring players on and I think in those forward areas is something that you would feel to get as many of those guys on in and around the action try and get goals in and get their confidence up playing for Ireland and um, just get them feeling part of it, which was where where we need to be at our best. And to, if we want to see a chance of qualification as goals, it's got to be it's got to be something we have to be pushing for. So I could see there being changes in the Lithuania game much more than the Belgium one. But like I said, it's it's just keeping that momentum going, keeping that the good atmosphere and vibes around the place. Everybody seems really happy and content. And this, like, the looks of Gavin Mazzuni and Quiven Keller are really standing out for their clubs. And when they've come in our year, it's been brilliant. So you think that just building on everything that's going forward and keep that you know, I don't want to say momentum again, but it's just happy. There's a really good atmosphere around the place and the atmosphere at the Aviva, the last game was sensational. So you want to just bring that forward into the next games. Yeah, and Carl, just on the on the forward area, because um, I think the midfield seems to be fairly settled in that, you know, that Josh Cullen is going to be be there alongside Jeff Hendrick and maybe Jason Knight if they play a three. But up front, Callum Robinson seems to be nailed down, whether it's in a two or a three up front. But, who would you be looking at in these in these upcoming games to sort either partner them or if you're going for a wholesale change as a front two or three? Um, is it kind of Will Keane as a partner for him? I know he actually tried as a number 10 this season for Wigan uh, rather than just as a pure centre forward. But in terms of options, are you thinking about Troy Parrott either? Um, like how, how would you how would you look at it and how do you think Stephen Kenny will um, will try and decipher that? Yeah, I think uh, I think at the moment he'll probably put Chidozi in as well because Chidozi's done so well from he's uh in all the games so far that he's played in he's been electric he's he's certainly not let him down and I think with Steven he tends to be the type of manager that if you if you play well from he's going to play you over and over it doesn't matter if there's a bigger name there beside him he's probably going to play you just because he knows he can trust you and Callum Robinson exactly he's when he's come in he's done brilliant for him so far so I think Callum Robinson has it nailed down. I suppose it's just who else he's going to put up there, if he's going to put the two or if he's going to play two in off the wings beside him. I think, uh, I suppose we know with Will Keane, he's been doing well for Wigan this year and obviously he's recalled Scott Hogan. So he might have an intention of possibly putting two up for this camp. Yeah, you mentioned Benny there because at Rotherham, obviously he's playing sort of as a wing back for the most part. And then obviously he's probably more natural as a kind of right-sided player. And then we found him kind of playing in this, uh, forward role now with Ireland where he's able to run the channels and everything like it just shows his sort of versati- versatility um, and it's kind of a boon for us yeah it is and uh, Chidozi was at Cork City when I was there and he was coming through and again you could see that he he, he was one of them players that he had so much physical attributes that he could almost play anywhere because if he, if he was playing right back he'd be running up past me you know it wouldn't have been hard <laughs> I was getting on at that stage but he'd be running up past me and he just has that explosive pace and power that he can play pretty much any position. But I think what works him best is when he's running into the channels and he has, I suppose he's trying to stretch the fences, which can, can then give our midfield a bit more space to play. So Belgium on Saturday 26th, probably going to be the strongest team um, is going to be played. And then Lithuania on Tuesday the 29th. But uh, Stephen Kelly, I know you probably have a busy day coming up, so <laughs> we're going to let you go. Cheers. And we're going to be chatting Leave Ireland. So thanks a million for joining. Thanks, cheers, Ar- thanks to Stephen Kelly for coming on. But now we are uh, joined by Peter Brannigan of RT Sport Online, who will fill, a, fill in at right back now that uh, Stephen Kelly has... Uh, has departed and it's time to talk League of Ireland. So Premier Division results, 
on Friday night. It was Shamrock Rovers 2, Sligo Rovers 2 at Tala Stadium. Shelburne lost 3-0 to Finn Harps at Talca Park. Drada United won Dundalk nil. That was the TV game on RT2 and the RT player. Derry City 2, St. Pat's 1. A big win there for Derry, who remained top. And again, it was the two teams that have been tipped to push uh, Shamrock Rovers involved there. So that was an interesting result. And then UCD won, Bowles won, which of course would have caught Peter Brannigan's eye, I'm sure. But before we get to that, um, Carl, I suppose that was a Friday coming off the back of a previous Friday and Monday turn- turnaround. And I know you've kind of misgivings about the quality levels that result in those kind of quick turnarounds. Yeah, look, I think at the end of the season, when you have to get extra games forced in, it makes sense to do it. it uh, and I suppose it's a necessary evil that you have to put up with. But for so early in the season when players are only getting into their stride, they won't even be fully match fit yet. They'll be at the point now where when around 80 minutes, they're still probably all starting to get a little bit of cramp in the hamstring and stuff. Not only is it, I suppose, borderline dangerous to play them this early, then Friday, Monday, Fridays, but you could see a real lack of quality in these games on Friday. It's, uh, it happens all, all the time when they put them in this early in the year. Towards the end of the season, you're match fit and you're well used. You can play, you could probably play a Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and it wouldn't be too much of an effort, but this early in the season, the quality just really lacks in these games when they put when they squeeze them in so early. It's uh, I, I, I just feel that for supporters as well going in and we're trying to promote the league and even look at the Drogheda Dundalk game that was on TV, it wasn't a great watch and you could tell that not only were players a bit leggy, but the pitches, pitch wasn't great and just wasn't a great watch, to be honest. And how difficult did you find those kind of turnarounds in your playing days um, and, and at any age, I guess, whether you were younger or as you as you got older? Because, again, as said, there those kind of games come thick and fast, and especially at this point in the season. It's one because obviously you'll have gone through pre-season, but at the same time, by the time you're kind of fully at a peak, that's probably later in the campaign. Yeah, it is. You're like the first few weeks of the, the season, you're you're still only, I've seen players that they take five, six, seven games to kind of get up to 100% match fitness. And I would have been one of them myself that maybe five, six games in, I'd have kind of just been ticking over maybe 80, 85%. But it would have been them extra couple of games and then a couple 90 minutes into the belt that really would have got me up to, I suppose, proper match sharpness. And what you find is the Friday, Monday game, it doesn't be too bad. You, you get through it, you'll be tired on the Monday's game. But the Friday game, you not only is it motivation that you're possibly struggling with, but it's also you're going into the game physically sore and you could see it. I, I suppose it was there for everyone to see it, especially in the draw had a Dundalk game that the explosiveness just isn't there. It's them rapid players are down that little bit in speed. The players who have that little bit of extra skill and all, it's still there, but it's just the, I suppose that little, maybe two, 3% that you're missing from that, I suppose, Really, when everyone's two, three percent down, it, it it all starts to add up a lot. Yeah, I suppose Peter as well. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the the big point that I take from what Carl was saying there is the pitches. Like, I've seen a lot of UCD games this season. I was up at Head in the Game Park for for Drogheda UCD. The pitch up there was great, but the pitch the ball because of the whole rugby AIL thing going on as well is never particularly great at this time of the season, and. I, I don't know, maybe that suits you, Steve. I don't really think it does. I think Andy Meyer always tries to get his team playing like a decent game. It's a passing game. Um, but I, I definitely agree with Carl there. Pitches are they're not in great nick at this time of the year. And it, it just attracts, it's particularly we've got such a good bump of support at the start of this season. You want as many of those people to stay towards the middle of the season when maybe a team isn't necessarily going for a league title or, or whatever it might be, you know, that kind of way. Yeah, so we'll start with Drogheda United's 1-0 win over Dundalk in the Loud Derby. So Kevin Doherty was speaking to Tony O'Donoghue afterwards on RT2 and the RT player. So here is the Drogheda United manager's reaction. Well, we've won two games out of, what, six now, so not the worst. We played the top three teams, I think, as well, as in that where the Bar Pats will play them next, but the three unbeaten teams, I should say. We've uh, Now, it gives give us confidence, momentum. Like, I think we were, look probably really really unlucky in a lot of the games and then look I spoke to you already about the injuries and stuff but give us a boost two weeks now said it to them before the match we don't want to be looking at a table even for the next two weeks sitting down even at the bottom of it because if results had gone against us which I look at your monitor I think they did so um, 
we had to put a, get a good vibe around the place go and win the game it's a big loud derby give the supporters something to be proud of and, and I think they are tonight yeah a word about the atmosphere because if you can recreate that every week you're going to go flying up the table yeah great absolutely brilliant look and I knew it would be of course the loud derby but they've been like that all season Sligo, UCD um, even Shelbourne the first game the supporters are absolutely magnificent it sounds like an old cliche about 12th men and all that but there was I'd say 112th men tonight because that was tough even though we, as you say, we could have scored three or four goals, we're still only one nil, and Dundalk were always going to put pressure on to change the shape. Had a had a goal, us, but our, the supporters really got our lads through it, and it's it's very much appreciated by me and all the staff and players. All right, so that's Strada United manager Kevin Doherty, their second win of the season in their six games so far. Dean Williams with the winner, and he had another great chance in the first half, and then Adam Foley smacked one off the crossbar as well. So a huge win for them, Carl. Um, I suppose in terms of Strada. They're expected to be in that battle near the bottom, at least trying to, you know, avoid avoid the drop or maybe, you know, end up maybe in the relegation playoff uh, and that's in, in that sort of zone of the table. But in regards to bottling what they were able to bring against Dundalk, because it's a derby, you're able to get yourself up for it, but you're not going to be playing derbies every week. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, what can they do to, I suppose, maintain the momentum they've built from that? Yeah, I suppose it's just about consistency for Drogheda. They have vastly experienced players when when you look at the game Foley Deegan Georgie Point and I thought was excellent on the night for me he was man the match he was very very good at right back and Dane Massey as well in there when you've when you have that much experience in a squad it's just about getting the young lads around you to I suppose buy in every week to doing things right in training and then to bring it into the game and if if they battle and fight like that, then they'll be fine. I suppose on the other hand, for them, Doc, it was that could possibly be their Achilles heel this year for teams that sort of look to go and outfight them because you can see the Doc they've got they're very nice on the eye. They try and play nice football, but I think Stevie will be looking at it going, okay, we're still maybe five or six players short for where we need to be. Yeah, and they were also missing Stephen Bradley from the start. Now, he came on um, in the second half and they looked a bit more transformed in attack. Uh, he's obviously had a good start to the season, but a lot of their chances in terms of like creativity, it seems to lean on his shoulders. Yeah, it does. And look, they, they, when they play with Pat Hogan up front, Pat's one of the... Uh, he's an amazing goal scorer. He's fantastic in here and holds it up brilliantly. What Pat doesn't have is pace. So when Pat's done well in a team, it's always been with people who are willing to run in behind. And you need to have pace alongside Pat to not only stretch it, but then if if you if the teams aren't stretched, you can't get it into Pat's feet because it's so it's so tight and compact in midfield. So it's uh, something that Stevie will be definitely looking at, saying, okay, well, I know Pat's a goal scorer. He's we need to get the service into him. As you mentioned, Bradley when he came on, he was very good. His, his, his delivery was great. His feet are fantastic. Uh, he, he nearly scored one that would have been definitely a goal of the season contender it just went wide but he's uh, it's something that Stevie will be I suppose slightly worried about as well just if, for me when I looked at the team on Friday night their midfielders a lot of times were going back and being safe and that was something that Stephen Kenny even Stevie O'Donnell when he played was far from that he was always about turning on the front foot going forward and I definitely think Stevie will be trying to implement that if it's not with these players now, it'll be with new signings. Yeah, and the Dean Williams goal uh, that I mentioned was from the spot. So um, Greg Sloggett, a judge to have committed the foul, was it a penalty for you? Because I think it seemed to be there seemed to be a bit of division in terms of uh, people who were reacting to it. Some thought maybe it was a bit soft, and others thought actually, yeah, there's uh, there's enough contact to warrant that decision. No, I think it's a penalty. When you look at Sloggett's reaction, I think it tells it all. Like a player knows when he's when he's committed a foul or if he hasn't straight away Slugger gets up gives it the no nothing happened and then as soon as it's given there's no complaint it's just I suppose he's disappointed with his first touch he sort of panics and as he does that he turns around and I think he just kind of trolls on the back of his ankle for me it was a definite penalty and I think Slugger's reaction sort of tells that for you yeah, uh, one other thing on that match, and I think it's to do with the venue and the stadium as well. I know, Carl, you have some misgivings, and I know, Peter, you mentioned that you've been, you were up there. I think it was the day that they um, there was the the free entry, which was done uh, as a thank you uh, to people, especially after the two years of the the COVID pandemic. But, Carl, your view on the ground? So, um, heading the game, heading the game park in terms of how it looked on TV, particularly, you had some misgivings. Yeah, look. I think there's great momentum in the league at the moment with fans going to games, but 
to get, I suppose, what is them floating fans into the ground, we need to make it look good on TV. If it doesn't look good on TV, you're not going to go. Drogheda uh, have done some amazing things this year. They really have. I know they have had a great stance on betting in the league. And I suppose hats off to them. They've done some great things, even renaming the stadium. So for me, it's just when the goalposts, I suppose the paint is coming off the post, it doesn't look great when aesthetically the it looks so poor. I think they're, I know we everyone wants to go around the leagues with TV and be fair and how each game is televised. But for me, there should be some, if it's not some sort of point system put in place for, because if it doesn't look good on TV, you're not going to get them floating fans to come in. No one's going to want to go down now to possibly drop it when you can see that it's not being well looked after and the stands haven't been maintained well. Yeah, and Peter, what was your kind of experience of it as a from the kind of spectator point of view of kind of going up there? Because I think was that your first time um, up at Head in the Game Park? Yeah, well, I, I mean, as we mentioned, they had a great support that night because of the the initiative with the tanking frontline workers kind of idea and, and giving out the free tickets. Um, yeah, like the, the issue is we got in just as the game was kicking off, the traffic coming up from Dublin, it'd be kind of bad. So we got in at maybe 20 to 8, and we could only get a seat in the back of the away section, and there's um, there's like a steel bar that goes across in front of your head. So we couldn't actually see the far side of the pitch. Now, I'm not suggesting that all League of Ireland clubs are going to have like cool little stadiums. I appreciate they're expensive to build, etc. But yeah, I, I agree with what Carl says. You know, you, it's just slight improvements. And even Stephen Kenny said this recently, it, it's going to need more than just the clubs. I think it's going to need the FEI. It's probably going to need state intervention uh, mm-hmm. to give clubs the opportunity because like the hunger is clearly there. That was There was a great attendance at the game on, on Friday night. I don't want to harbour too much on the point, but like we've seen great attendances at most of the stadiums throughout the league so far. So um, facilities are a big thing. And that's something that maybe other sports have in Ireland that, you know, the League of Ireland doesn't quite have. But I, I don't I don't think it's fair like to sort of blame clubs. I think the key is, is that the, the FAI slash the state needs to get involved and realise there's an asset there and it's an important thing to have something for younger people maybe to do on a Friday night. So there's there's value there that I think needs to be used. So, yeah, little improvements to the grounds here and there would be would be massive. Yeah, that, that would be huge for the future. Now, obviously, Tala Stadium is one of the more uh, modern grounds and they were hosting Shamrock Rovers, of course, uh, 2-2 draw with Sligo Rovers. So uh, Shamrock Rovers went 2-0 down and then fought back in the second half, made a number of changes at the start of the at the start of the half. So Stephen Bradley, the Shamrock Rovers manager, and Liam Buckley, the Sligo Rovers manager, were speaking to Oshin Langan of LOI TV afterwards. So let's listen to both managers, Stephen Bradley first and then Liam Buckley. Look, we give away... Two terrible goals. One a really poor goal from our point of view. Uh, but I felt, I felt on Monday it was a fair, fair result to draw. But tonight I felt we, we should have won that game quite comfortably. We had, we had all the game, twenty-seven shots. We just couldn't uh, find that third goal. Um, we knew at half time. We said at half time, even though we were two down, we felt we could go and win the game. Um, and uh, the players came out and they were excellent, excellent second half. But we just couldn't get that third goal. You did come back in the second half, you got your two goals, you made a couple of switches, Jack came in and Neil came in. What was the thinking behind that? What difference did that make? Yeah, it was good to get Neil on and, and the left gave us more balance, left foot on the left and, and it was great to get Jack in. I didn't want to uh, involve Jack at all tonight, he's been struggling the last two games with, with a, a viral infection and it took a lot out of him. So I didn't want to involve him tonight but uh, needs must and we got him on and I thought he was uh, he was brilliant for a second half. Are you not scoring enough goals at the moment and if so why? Oh, that'll come. I'm not worried about that. The the the, the part of actually our work rate, our energy, uh, our positions, um, and how threatening we look is very very good. The goals will come. Um, I'm not no concern about that. And how would you rate your team's performances so far? I think we're six seven games in now at this stage. Good. Yeah, every game we're getting better. I thought balls were good. Uh, Dundalk after 20 minutes we were very good, and tonight we were we were the dominant team. I think we completely controlled the game um, in every aspect. Um, and should win the game. Um, we are very good. Disappointed with the goals we give away, of course, but uh, tonight was uh, we are very good, probably the best we've been. And you know yourself, there's a lot of talk about the quality in your team and you trying to manage that and keep everyone happy. Can you keep them happy or is it actually okay to leave people, one or two of them, a bit grumpy if they're not playing because they're players, they should want to play, they should be grumpy if they're not playing. Is that a good thing to kind of create that atmosphere around the, 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 the team? No, the squad is good. The, the players understand that we've had to work extremely hard to get to this point. And they, they fully understand that um, whoever plays on, on the on the Friday night or the Monday night, 
Uh, it's about wishing them uh, luck and, and hoping they can go and do the business. But um, no, everyone, the squad is together. They've always been that way. That's what we built this on. And that doesn't change because we've had a bit of success. If anything, uh, it brings you more together. So no, we're, we're fine. I think there's a lot of, a lot of talk from, from people like yourself and the outside. But inside, we're fine. I'm always spreading rumours, you know me. Did we see it in the second half, the togetherness? Because it would have been easy to wilt when you're 2-0 down. I guess they're a really good team like Sligo. I think we've seen it all season, to be honest. Yeah. I think if you look at Bowes, one up, second half, you have to dig in. Dundalk up there, we are very good. Pats away, we are very good. Yeah, tonight we are very good. No one can ever question the character or the courage of this team and the bravery. Um, and the second half, they showed uh, why they're the champions. They were, they were a tremendous second half. Liam Buckley, is that a point gained or two dropped? Uh, look, listen, over the 90 minutes, it's a point gained. I'll be straight. Uh, first half, wasn't a lot in it, although I know we were leading 2-0. Uh, done well to get our goals and took our goals really well. Uh, but the second half, we just just didn't string any pass together. We just didn't play well enough. And in fairness, the Rovers did all the ball. Uh, granted, they got a lazy penalty from our point of view. Uh, they got them back in the toy, you know, but... Just unfortunately, they got the penalty because that's got them right back in it. Uh, but that's it. Look, it's a decent result from where we we're at. Bear in mind, uh, as I said before, if you get ahead of Shamrock Rovers, you're going to win the league this year. The way it is in Tala, you know, when you come here, they're going to have an awful lot of possession, and that was the case in the first half. Yet still, you got two goals. That wasn't by accident, though. You pressed up at times, you pressurised them, and created those goals from that pressure. Yeah, yeah, we did. We done reasonably okay. Um, like, where do you wait in? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and they have had quite a bit of the ball for the whole match but in the first half they, uh, they did a little bit less in the first half and the, for the few bits and pieces we did do well in the first half we created a few chances and we've bagged two really good goals from where we're at as I say just to concede a penalty um, the way the game went with half an hour to go it just brought them right back into it and we started to defend a bit deeper and couldn't get out of our box and the rest is history but look it's a, it's a point game from where we're at uh, and as part of our development we're still moving forward So that is Stephen Bradley Sharp Rovers manager and Liam Buckley his Sligo Rovers counterpart after that 2-2 draw so in regards to Shamrock Rovers Carl I mean listening to Stephen Bradley there he's still quite positive about his team doesn't seem concerned by their form but does that tally with what you've seen of them so far? Yeah look I think it's going to be Let's not. Uh, Shamrock Rovers won the league by a distance last year, but let's not forget so many of them games were one nil that they. I think what was it? Was it four of four against four against Longford were possibly last minute winners. Uh, I know that it's uh, like Shamrock Rovers last year. They were just motoring through and ticking games off. They certainly weren't blowing teams out of the water. And I think it'll be the same this year. I think uh, there's a lot more strength and depth in the league this year against amongst the teams at the top. I think it'll be a a slightly closer title race. I think the race for the top four will be very strong, but I still see Shamrock Rovers as as winning the league. They're, they're such a strong squad and you look at the players that they bring on and players that they bring off in games, it's frightening to bring Jack Byrne, Perugia on. It, it just shows how, how strong their squad is. Yeah, I suppose, Peter, on that point, as I said, um, you know, Jack Byrne, I think, who was uh, sort of semi-sidelined by illness and then being brought on uh, for the second half, um, also the like Idemo Amaku uh, coming on at the same time, Aaron Green, and uh, uh, also Neil Faruja. So you know that, as as Carl said, that's quite frightening um, for other teams. Like when I suppose Sligo Rovers go two 0 up, um, Aidan Keena with a with a great goal to to add the second, and then suddenly you know after all that hard work, then players of that quality come on. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Rovers squad is insanely, uh, insanely good. Um, the depth there is just massive. You know, any injury crisis, unless it's exceptional, unless we're getting into like dream team sort of levels of uh, team crisis, I think Rovers are going to be in good nick. I know you've discussed it in the program or in the podcast, I should say, before. You're looking at Europe this season for Rovers. I think they would have looked in at what Bose did last year and they would have said, like, we want to do something like that. And the squad is there, the depth is there. So it's about now for Stephen Bradley, in my opinion, keeping that squad as happy as he can until the summer. I know you, you obviously as a League of Ireland club, you're not building your season just around Europe, but I think that's where talking to supporters uh, that I would know that's where the next step is. Like, I mean, he's he's going for three in a row. They haven't done it in whatever it is, 35 years or, or whatever. So in that sense, you can't ask too much of him. He's won the cup. Um, yeah, the, the squad depth is there to do it. Obviously, coming back on Friday, it's, it's weird that they fell behind. I saw them the first match of the season and obviously they were playing UCD so they were always going to win that or there was always a good chance they were going to win it and they looked very comfortable but 
yeah, a few little wobbly bits. It's it's interesting. Uh, Oshin was very diplomatic with him there in the interview. Like Bradley's always always trying. Everyone is against Rovers when it comes to Bradley. I think to to a certain extent. And um, I, I thought it was it was it was uh, an interesting interview to hear what he had to say. But he's he's staying positive, and that's all he can do. I think the pressure on him is is just normal. When you're at a club like Shamrock Rovers, um, whether it's fair or not, considering what he's done, I don't know. But I do think Europe's going to be a big thing for this season for them this season. They want to. Uh, potentially get to a, I don't know, a conference league group stage or whatever it might be, or or progress in Champions League. I mean, maybe maybe I'm not being positive enough there, but um, that's that's what that depth is, and that's the challenge for Bradley and his management team keeping those players, you know, nipping at the bud, but also keeping them in a positive frame of mind for that period in the summer. Yeah, so like a Rovers who also be involved in Europe later in, on in the year as well, Carl. Um, they remain unbeaten. They've made a great start to the season. As Gary Rogers was saying last week, it kind of bodes well for them the way uh, they've started this campaign. But if, if we just nail down maybe just on Aidan Keena, because that's coming off the back of a hat-trick against Finn Harps and then scoring against the, the reigning champions, what is it about him that's uh, that's really helping Sligo Rovers up front? And like, what kind of qualities is he bringing? Yeah, he's... Hit the ground running. I think he has five goals in six games. Now he has. He's again. He has. The, he had the hat trick as well the week before. It, his finishing has been great, and for me, it's how early he's been hitting his strikes. It's just been catching keepers out. Uh, his left foot has been fantastic, and for me, it, it's looking to stretch the game in behind. And obviously, he's uh, he certainly hit the ground running. And it goes back to I suppose Liam Buckley, where he pulls these players out from uh, each year on years. Like you look at. Gary Buckley as well under Liam. He's gone from a number 10 attacking midfielder to possibly one of the best centre-halves in the league at the moment. And his signing of, as you said, Aidan Keane has been fantastic. Uh, for Sligo, they're going to need him to, to keep scoring. On the weekend, he actually could have had another. I've seen maybe the last was it 30 minutes of the game and he had a chance where uh, Sligo were on the counter-attack and to look, they could have, could have nicked it, but... The last bit that I did see is Stephen Bradley likes to always say Rovers batter teams, but for the last 15 minutes, anyway, they were battering. Uh, they certainly were battering Sligo. Yeah. And Peter, you were at UCD versus Bohemians. So that was a 1 1 draw. And it's kind of surprising given Bohemians go front or go 1 uh, 0 up, uh, true promise on Macherry, and you kind of think they're going to push on, but then UCD managed to get an equalizer. So, what was your kind of reading of the game? What happened there? Yeah, um, Bowes absolutely burst out the blocks. I thought they were going to be two or three up after 10 minutes. They were really all over UCD. Um, but you kind of think of that Bowes team as having a big, massive hole that's over in Australia at the moment uh, in midfield. Without Buckley, UCD were dominant for large periods in that game, which was kind of peculiar because in fairness for, for UCD this season, it's been a lot of sitting back and trying to pick off goals in the break kind of thing. So UCD were on top. UCD possibly could have won it. Um, like everyone knows the job that Andy Myler has in his hands to try and keep them in the division this year but um, it's just about consistency I like they're a young team that's I know that's an obvious thing to say with UCD but a lot of the lads are kind of in that 17 to 20 age bracket so consistency of performance is massive they brought in a couple of lads Eric Yarrow has been I think sensational in defence he's been absolutely class uh, he's come up through the UCD underage teams he's only 18 years of age just turned 18 at the start of uh, last month and He's been absolutely brilliant considering he hadn't played uh, a Premier Division, even a First Division game. Um, he's been really, really excellent. Um, they also brought in Dylan Duffy from Rovers and he's he's been threatening for UCD. But yeah, the game was was definitely one that UCD possibly could have won. But then in the last 10 minutes as well, maybe that little bit of fitness that Bose had started to tell and they did create a couple of chances. But again, a bit like Stephen Bradley, um, you know, Keith Long is, 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 is coming under a bit of pressure. I think it's, it's very early in the season considering... All of the things he's achieved, got you know the European run last year, the trip to the cup final that they lose on penalties. People need to, you know, he's had to obviously he's obviously lost a couple of players and he's had to bring players in. People need to give the team a bit of a chance. There's a lot of stuff. I know social media is not the best place to look for reaction, but I just had a quick look. No, never, never read a Facebook comment <laughs> section. I think that's rule number one. Don't go on Twitter. I think is yeah. rule number two. In, insane stuff. I mean, like people need to be realistic about the the budgets and where bows are. They're like. Obviously, you want your club to be challenging for the league title and all the rest of it, but you also kind of have to be realistic, realistic about where they're at. And yeah, himself, I promise Omicheri and, and Eric Garrow had a great old battle uh, on Friday night. So yeah, it was it was an enjoyable enough game. And in fairness, Bowles brought a great support. I think there was, I think the lads were saying something like 1,600 at, at Belfield. There was even people standing around the side of the pitch, which you'd very rarely see. So yeah, a good atmosphere and a, and a good evening's entertainment. Yeah, and Carl, what's your reading of Bowles at the start of the season? Because... 
it's been sort of up and down. I thought the first few games, they seemed to, you know, especially after a winter of upheaval, you know, there was a sense maybe that there was a lot of uncertainty and they started okay. And then they've sort of dipped a little bit, obviously with the defeat to Shamrock Rovers, which of course it's a derby, but there's no shame in that. And then sort of the 1-1 draw with UCD, where I guess a lot of teams will be looking at UCD as the team they would target to get three points. Yeah, like at the moment, both are mid-table. And to be honest, it's where I'd see them finishing this year with the squad that they have. Like, uh, I know look, they brought back in Chris Twardek, but to lose the players that they've lost in, in the winter this year and to expect Keith Long to hit the ground running with the current squad, I think it's just so unrealistic. It's uh, I, I, I've certainly had my run-in with, with Bows in the past, but they'd be lost without Keith Long, if I'm being honest. Like, that man has performed miracles season after season with them. And because it's every year or two they have great players and next thing it's re-signing another six players and putting them into the squad and it always seems to click after a couple of games that he has them motoring along and then starts to make them hard to beat and then next thing they start to climb the table and I'd fully expect that this year they've got plenty of quality I know if I was a Bose fan I certainly wouldn't be putting any pressure on Keith Long it's he's a fantastic manager and he's done great uh, with that Bose squad year after year yeah, and a uh, final point on UCD, Peter. Any, I suppose, any signs of hope for them in terms of the the battle to survive? Because they've got three good draws um, so far, one against Finn Harps and then the, the one against Bohemians there. And also they held Shelburne, uh, who we'll talk about very shortly, to a nil-nil draw as well. But the, the elusive thing so far is a victory. Um, but are there any kind of signs that, that that might be around the corner? It's hard to say. Like they are, you would look at the games against Harps, Shells, and Drada, and you would think like you want to be getting results there. So they went up to you know, or they went up to head in the game park, I should say, and they were just well beaten. It wasn't a good night for them. The Shells and Harps games at home, not picking up at least one win there would be slightly worrying. Uh, so much of we made of Colin Whedon, obviously before the season and where he might be come June or July or whatever. Um, he's just lacking a bit of confidence. There's probably that little bit of pressure on him, and he just needs one to go in. Whether it's sort of, you know in off his backside from a corner or whatever it might be. And I think he would get a bit of confidence. He had a really good chance. I was at Richmond Park the previous Monday for the game against Pats. He had a, a great chance just before Pats went ahead, which he missed. And then he had a couple of really good chances against Bowes last week as well, and they just won't go in. It's not just up to him. And maybe it's reflective of where the squad is at at UCD that Andy Myler doesn't maybe feel he can take Colin Wheelham off. Now, he's an under-21 international. I know you wouldn't maybe want to take him off, but maybe just to put the fire under him, take him off for 10 minutes at the end of a game and, and maybe give him that bit of motiv- motivation. But look, Liam Garrigan has been absolutely exceptional this year. I don't know where he's going to end up in the summer or at the end of the season, but uh, really, really good. Taking teams on. Teams don't really know what to do with him. He's dangerous. Uh, he's creative. You'd love a couple of more players around him, um, but I've sort of gone a long way around answering your, your question. Do I see results? We've done Doc and Sligo to come in the next two games. That's going to be really difficult. They're both away games as well. Drogheda then come to Belfield. That's a more realistic game to maybe see if you can pick up points. But I think UCD are more hoping the teams stay with them than UCD are going to go up and suddenly shoot up to sixth or seventh. Like eighth would be a dream scenario for UCD and Andy Myler absolutely would snap anyone's hand off to get that now. I, I don't know if they're going to manage it. I, I'll remain hopeful. Yeah, you mentioned teams staying with them and the way the results over the weekend played out, it sort of went in that direction, especially in regards to Shelburne, who had picked up a couple of good points uh, on in the Friday-Monday turnaround the previous week. And then they get hit 3-0 at home uh, to Finn Harps at Talk Park. So uh, Johnny Ward in his, uh, in his report, which is on rt.ie for anybody who wants to read it, he described them as shockingly out of sorts. And it sort of came out of nowhere a little bit. Um, Carl, I know you were critical of them after the first week because there was a narrative, as you said, where people were saying against Pats that they seemed to play quite well and then just got stung. But you had concerns about them as far back as then. And still, like they've defensively, they've picked up a few clean sheets since, but they they can't seem to they can't seem to score goals with any kind of real uh, reliability or regularity. No, look, it's a very bad problem to have when you're poor in both boxes. It, it, it's ultimately you can be a team who's great in both boxes and you'll finish mid-table but if you're poor in both boxes and good in the middle of the pitch you're really struggling I, I watched it must have been about 45 minutes of the game against Finn Harps and it would be very very worrying if if you're Damien Duff 
if I was an opposition manager, I'd say let them play out from the back. After one pass, go and press them because Ledwig on the left side of the back three gave it away. It, was, it could have been three, four times in a row that all led to huge chances for Van Harps. They didn't end up in goals, but it just spe- spreads panic amongst the back three. And I'd be very worried for them. They're just at times they look very good. The pitch certainly doesn't help them in Talca Park at the moment. They're, uh, they do try and play nice football, but they just seem so open at times, especially when they're trying to play out and they lose it. Van Harps won 3-0 and it could have been more. They, they also don't look like scoring many this year. Yeah, uh, but on the flip side for Finn Harps, Peter, um, you know, we had David Snade on the podcast last week and he'd written a brilliant piece where he went up with uh, Dave Webster and Bastian Harry on the kind of long road trip from Donegal to Dublin and then mm-hmm. all the way back. And, you know, the I suppose the inference of all that was Ollie Horgan being able to kind of pull together an eclectic squad and get something out of it. And then I think now this this game against Shelburne is the first time really we've seen the best of them uh, because they have played reasonably well in other games just without the breaks. Yeah, um, certainly against UCD at Belfield, they they, uh, they had their chances and they just didn't take them. You know, I left the bowl at whatever it was, quarter to 7, 10 to 7 the other night thinking, great, UCD aren't going to be bottom of the table and then Drahada and Finn Harps went and got those results. But I mean, yeah, Ali Horgan is he's brilliant for the league. You know, we discussed it way back at the start of the season. Um, you, you do need clubs outside of the Dublin area doing well and Harps are obviously not going to do anything in terms of a title challenge or anything like that but a victory like that for them is massive um, they just need to keep ticking over it depends as we discussed in the last section it depends how good or bad use they become or else Harps might be battling for eighth and above you know um, they don't want to get sucked into a, a 10th place kind of battle but yeah Ali Horgan is, he's just consistently getting results he's a character and that's the kind of result that's that's very impressive for them you know, from a Shelburne point of view, like they've obviously had good news, well, possible good news with Talca Park off the pitch. Um, so there seems to be a sort of long-term, medium-term goal there. But yeah, it, it takes a while, I suppose, for, for a new manager and the few new players that he's got in to settle and it's his first gig and all the rest of it. So they're just very inconsistent. That would be the thing I'd be worrying about if I was a Shelburne supporter. They can be pretty decent one week and then you go out and lose three not at home to Harps. It's 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 hard to get a read in them. But yeah, Finn Harps, yeah, like that's the fantastic results. I'm I'm annoyed at them for getting it. But yeah, it's really, really good stuff. Yeah, and I think the other thing to mention with Shells, of course, which might probably get forgotten because of all the folks on Damien Duff, but they are a new, newly promoted side and making that step up is uh, always difficult, especially when they've had to make as many changes as, as they've had to do to, uh, to their squad um, in the in the off-season. But uh, last but not least, top of the table, Derry City. So a 2-1 win over St. Patrick's Athletic. And as I said earlier when I was reading out the results, it's the it was the game between the two teams that have been tipped to push Shamrock Rovers closest. So it was kind of interesting to see how that played out. So we're going to just listen to St. Pat's manager, Tim Clancy, and also to Derry City manager, Rory Higgins, uh, who were both speaking to Eric White of the BBC. It's an important result for various reasons, but I just wonder after the injury to Michael Duffy on Monday night, how important is it that that doesn't have a psychological impact on the rest of the squad? Aye, and, and Michael, for me, is uh, the most productive player in Ireland. Um, goals, assists, goal involvements. It's the first time in his career, I think, where he's actually had to deal with a setback with injuries and stuff like that. So, um, aye, but but we 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 have players. Um, we had a good point return in the first four games when he wasn't available to us. The players gained confidence from that, and we just hope that we're in a, in a decent position when 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 he when he returns and and we can kick on. But there's no doubt about it. It's a blow, but. The players with results like this will will grow and um, will keep going. I'm actually a bit disappointed. There's a break next week now, and, and would have liked to have kept the momentum going. But the players deserve a few days off, and and um, I we will come in on Monday and, and refocus and try and get a good weekend next week. After six games last season, Derry were bottom with just two points. You came in after that. Six games now you've played this season. You're sitting top. What can people read into that? Not a lot, Eric, to be honest, because. Um, I, I, loads of teams have had brilliant starts and, and, and leagues all over the world but have faded away we just need to stay focused and, and focus on the next game and try and pick up three points and I'm going to keep giving you boring answers um, but that is if you do look too far ahead then you get you, you, you get done so um, we just want to keep 
a wee bit of momentum going and, and, and keep driving on. Tim, was that uh, hard to take there right at the end? Alex, when you get to the uh, 93rd minute, whatever it was, where um, you can see the goal like that, uh, yeah, listen, it's disappointing. Um, we go in 1-0 down at half-time. It's a shot from outside the box, a great finish by Will, in fairness to him. He's cut inside and he's bent into the far corner. And it's identifying players that are capable of doing things like that and knowing that he's right-footed and he's on that left side, like just to show him the line onto his weaker foot. Um, but I think we had a few good chances ourselves. Billy's got a shot in the first half. He's ahead of just over the bar as well. Um, and then we come out and we get a goal. A great finish by Tom. Uh, gets back into the game, I think, for about 15, 20 minutes. And I think we're on top. Um, there he switched to like, a box midfield, which got them a little bit of emphasis into the game. Um, but again, I think we dealt with most things that they were doing. Was balls into the box. We dealt with it well. And then... Um, Again, it comes out in the 92nd or 3rd minute and it's a strike from 25 yards that beats you. Um, and that's probably the difference today is their shots from the edge of the box were uh, on target and they get two goals from them and the only one we got on target from outside the box, uh, Brian Maher sort of flaps at it and nearly slips into his own goal so we've got to work the keeper a lot more. Right, so that was St. Pat's manager Tim Clancy and before that Derry City boss Rory Higgins who at the beginning of that was referencing the injury to Michael Duffy from uh, the previous game um, and he's going to be out for a period of time but then they have Will Patching to score a goal in each half for them um, against Pat's so Derry ticking along nicely Carl um, I suppose the, the there was a lot of expectation on them this season not necessarily to go on and win win the title or anything like that but uh early doors as it may be like what's your kind of hope for them now this season especially with Shamrock Rovers wobbling a little bit and how far can they push it yeah look I think it's while Shamrock Rovers are wobbling to, to just try and be as relentless as they can it sounds easy but it's in the games where you're come, coming up against the teams at the bottom of the table that you need to just make sure that you get them wins look the teams at the top them games the motivation take care of itself in them games for me it's just while Shamrock Rovers are slightly not hitting fifth gear yet, I'd be just making sure that, right, we take advantage, pull a gap as, as big as possible, and then I suppose worry about it from there. Like it's uh, when you get to summer and get around the European games, especially for Derry, when, you, when it comes to that time of year, it, it, it's hard to concentrate on the league. So having a, a gap that big will be, having a big gap at that time, if possible, will be very important because. It's always that time that the teams who are in Europe year on year start to pull away and then you start to see, I think it was even Sligo and Pats last year, started to drift away then. Yeah, and momentum, uh, Jurgen Klopp uh, was referring to it as the kind of fragile flower. It was a direct quote. Um, I'm not sure what poem or whatever he, dra- he dragged that out of. But um, anyway, it, it was. I suppose it was the inference is it's a difficult thing to, to keep going. And as Rory Higgins said in the clip there, you know, he would have loved maybe just to have more games there rather than going straight into an international break. And we momentum has been the kind of the theme of what we've been talking about here, even with uh, with Ireland, because of the four month gap since the Luxembourg game. How difficult is it, like from your experience, you know, when you're sort of on that run, and then suddenly, you know, the there's a break of whatever it is, two weeks for international games or whatever it is. How difficult is it to sort of recapture um, what you had before? It's almost just the maybe a, a, the worry of not go, of that just clicking out of routine so when you're playing and you're ticking off games and you're winning and you're scoring or assisting it's it all becomes routine you start to do the same thing before every single match you start to train I suppose the same way it's just then the next couple of weeks until the next game it's okay it's slightly different we're going to try and keep the players fresh but also I suppose keep them uh, training intense and try to avoid injuries from training it's I suppose it's, it's slightly different and it's just a different mindset of maybe dropping it down that half percent. If you do that, then next thing you find that, oh, geez, why am I a bit more tired in this game or why am I not doing as well? And it's just because that one or two percent that you drop down from in training is starting to catch up on you. So it's, I suppose for Rory Huggins, it'll be massive for him to just, I suppose, drill it into his player for the next week or two that right training needs to be as tough as games. That's, I suppose, when we're at Cork with John Caulfield, we say a lot of times that some of his training sessions were a lot tougher than some of the games. Yeah. And Tim Clancy, on the other hand, his point was that for Pats, it's probably a good two weeks now for them to 
kind of, I suppose, settled down. They've had three defeats now as well, which is probably a bit of a concern, three and seven, although two of them were sort of kind of setbacks, which they bounced back from against Shamrock Rovers. Uh, much concern there, or is it just a case of it's still early on in the season and Pats do have quite a good squad there, especially up front, once they get Owen Doyle scoring regularly and Mark Doyle also contributing that, they will they will gain that momentum that maybe they haven't picked up quite uh, yet. Yeah, I, I have no worries about St. Pat's at all. They have a fantastic manager, Tim Clancy, and he's implementing a new style of play. So it's kind of what we've been saying about even Stevie O'Donnell at the dock and even slightly with, uh, and even with Keith Long at Bowes, that when you bring in new players or you even in this case, it's new players and new manager, it's going to take time to settle. For me, St. Pat's have a fantastic squad and you look at their starting 11, it's a fantastic team. It's For me, they'll be within the top three more than likely come the end of the season. Yeah, so that is the Premier Division. So the first division uh, on Friday, it was Wexford who lost 3-0 uh, at home to Longford Town. At Lowen lost 2-1 home to Galway. Cove Ramblers also lost at home to Bray Wanderers 1-0. And then Cork City continue their good start to the season with a 4-0 win at Treaty United. And obviously Waterford not in action because it's their bye week. Anything jumping out to you there, um, Carl, in terms of, uh, well, I suppose Cork are the obvious one there. And we were talking about them last week and Neil Horgan was making the point that, you know, on the pitch at least, everything sort of looks positive. Maybe off the pitch with the ownership situation, there's still a little bit of a question mark there long term. But um, Cork looking good. Cork are looking fantastic at the moment. Uh, at the start of last year, people were slightly questioning Colin Healy, and I couldn't believe it, to be honest, because I know well he's going to be a fantastic manager. He's been like that as a player. As a player, he was almost a manager within the dressing room. So he's. Uh, I know he'll have them players not getting ahead of themselves at all and training very tough every day. And it's not only on the pitch that things are going well. You look at the stands, the crowds that they're pulling in at the moment, Cork City, it's... It's frightening for a first division team. I know Dem and Galway are doing great this year for attendances, so long may it continue. Yeah, so attendance is great, but also the way the table, Peter, has been kind of already we're see, we're kind of seeing a sort of divide between the three full-time teams. Um obviously Waterford as I said not in action this weekend, but they had made a good start to the season until they lost to Cork City. But it looks like Cork, Galway, Waterford are going to sort of run away with it and maybe outside of that maybe Longford potentially might be the only ones to kind of hang on to the coattails yeah um, the thing about the first division obviously is, as we've mentioned is the fact that the top like five of the nine clubs are something to play for right up until the last day in theory anyway so um, you know I like the local experts obviously we had Ian Ryan as an assistant manager at UCD for a while and he has Dini Corcoran up there in there up front obviously a guy who can score goals in the Premier division so he'll, he's definitely capable of scoring goals uh, in this division um, so yeah, I would I would fancy possibly Wexford to maybe get in the the top five uh, as well. Um, but yeah, like you've seen with the last couple of seasons, two years ago Longford finished and got went through the promotion playoff and, and managed to get into the Premier Division, and then last year with UCD now Longford went down and potentially UCD are going to go back down as well. But the point about it is with that momentum that you get from playing in the first division and potentially winning games regularly. Um, you can take on a first or a Premier Division team that finishes ninth and 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 you know and and beat them. So I think there's that massive amount of motivation. But at the same time, the other side of it with the first division is the fact that you can finish in the top five instead of something to play for. You can afford like Wexford last week to lose three 0 and you don't want to do it every week or anything. But you just kind of put it behind you and next week keep going. You know, so it's it's um it's a sort of a peculiar one with just nine teams in it. But yeah, I my tip at this remove would be for Wexford maybe to get in that top five as well. Okay, we'll see how that pans out anyway, because uh, the, there is no, while there is an international break for the Premier Division, there isn't one for the First Division. We'll bring the fixtures very shortly. But in the Women's National League on Friday, again, the top three in, like the first men's First Division, the top three in the Women's National League are kind of building momentum. And I think Lisa Fallon had sort of set it out that that was going to be likely to be between Wexford, Peamount and Shelburne. And that's the results that panned out. So at Lone Town, uh, we're beaten 2-0 by Shelburne, Peamount United, 15 goals now in three games, 5-1 win over Treaty United. Uh, Galway beat, or Galway drew 1-1 with DLR Waves. Bohemians lost 3-0 at home to Wexford Youths. Cork lost 
2-1 to Sligo Rovers, which is a historic win for Sligo. This at the ter- third attempt in their first season uh, in the top or in the uh, in the WNL, getting uh, a victory. So that's a that's a great boost for them after a couple of uh, difficult games early on. But uh, they'll they'll have built a little bit of momentum. But anyway, first off, in terms of the uh, first division, as I said, there are there are fixtures on the twenty fifth of March. So seven, all seven forty five kickoffs as well. Cork City against Atlone Town, Treaty United against Waterford, Longford Town against Galway United and Bray Wanderers against Wexford FC. And in the Women's National League on the Saturday, uh, the 2pm games, Wexford versus Treaty United, Atlone versus Galway, Shelburne versus Cork City and then Sligo versus Bohemians and also DLR Waves versus P-Mount is the 4pm game, which I think brings us uh, to an end. Uh, there lads so um, obviously thanks Peter for uh, going and uh, checking out all the UCD games for us and bringing us as much detail about them as possible for this week and Carl also uh, thanks Emil for uh, taking the time I presume we're all going to be watching these Ireland friendlies very closely anyway Yeah fingers crossed Stephen Kenny can keep the momentum and I suppose if you can get a, a win and a draw out of it it'd be a fantastic two games Yeah definitely especially I suppose with Belgium not having their uh, any player with 50 caps or more, there's a, there's a little bit of an opportunity there, especially with a, with a buoyant home crowd as well. And Peter, I know I just heard your, I heard your voice piping in there. So No, I was just going to say, it's interesting that Stephen Kenny is no longer talking about building his squad or looking at players. Like he said at the press conference very clearly, he has targets this year. So I suppose it'll be interesting, obviously these two being friendlies, it'll be interesting to see is that this is kind of a last chance saloon for a couple of players to try and impress them before the the Nations League and then heading into the Euro qualifiers uh, eventually. So it's, um, yeah, it's interesting and it'll be interesting to see that they got good attendances obviously before Christmas. It'll be interesting to see uh, what they get in that regard as well. Yeah, certainly I think in the Belgium game anyway, there's a, I think that's, that looks like it's probably going to be a sellout or close to it, even without the likes of Lukaku and, you know, De Bruyne and all the kind of experienced names. But I think that also points to the sort of momentum and excitement when it comes to what this new look Ireland looks like. But we'll be keeping an eye on that. So Belgium on Saturday and then Lithuania on Tuesday. And we'll be back with the podcast next week to reflect on both of those. So Peter and Carl, thanks a million for taking the time. Cheers, Ralph. Thanks,